You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, a.k.a. Crazy Pants, also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music and tech PR firm. One of my favorite types of music tech startups are ones that are born out of music. Companies that are founded by artists or songwriters with business savvy. And if there's one thing we learned at Music Tectonics during the pandemic, it's that there are great lessons to be learned when we step across cultures and national borders, across oceans. Music Tectonics found an incredible innovation community all over the world when we started podcasting worldwide and doing online events that attracted innovators from as far away as India, Australia, and Korea. And today's guest ties all that together. Ken Kabori is a songwriter and producer in Japan known as Two Soul. He achieved early success with Story by IE in 2005, which charted on Oricon's top 10 for 73 weeks. That's Japan's song chart. Ken's worked with Earth, Wind & Fire and Little Glee Monster, among others, and is also a former executive and startup member of Breaker, Inc. Ken is the founder and CEO of the recently launched Surf Music. Welcome to Music Tectonics, Ken. Thank you very much, Dimitri. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. I know you were born in Hong Kong and raised in Japan. I would love to dive in with the music story. Just tell us how you started your career or tell us about your career as a songwriter and producer. Um, yeah, so after graduating college, I entered uh, Sony Music in New York as a general assistant. And, you know, being in sessions and watching the music uh, making process, I felt like I could do it too. And, you know, I've been playing music all my life. Um, started piano was out in the seven, guitar when I was eight, um, saxophone when I was 10, and just loved music. Never thought of doing it as a profession until you know, really got to experience it in the studio. So um, so basically what we would do is we would use the studios at night when no one was in there. We'd get a couple of the assistants together and we'd do jam sessions and start making our beats. And, wow. you know, like a lot of great songs, I think were, you know, it was free studio time and we were just, you know, being creative. That is but, a blast. Know, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from, you know, um, uh, the, the work we're doing at uh, as the overnight crew, we, I picked up um, a friend of mine that um, I thought we, we made music uh, very well together. And we did three songs. We made three songs in a month. Um, and um, I actually asked Sony to give me time off so that I could do this. And they said, you know, it's fine. They said we could use the studios. I said, you know, I want to break into the Japanese music industry. And they were like, you know, this is great. You know, try, try it out. You could, you could use the studio for free. So we made three songs and flew to Tokyo, not knowing anybody in the industry, really. Um, we had maybe one connection. And then we went shopping, shopping our demos as a producer for, because um, we wanted to, to write for Japanese artists. But what was funny is, you know, uh, the first meeting we we went to, we actually got offered a record deal. Wow. And they came to our hotel that night and they were like, can you please sign with us? And we were like, we need to meet the other labels first. So, you know, could you hold off for a week? You know, let us think about it. And we did all the majors, you know, Sony, Universal, this and that. But, you know, I eventually signed with Universal Music as an artist and, um, as I was making my um, my album, the one of the directors, the um, the director of our project at uh, Universal, who later became the chairman of Universal, and then he retired, and now he's 
an advisor on our board for some oh, wow. music. Um, but uh, yeah, he was like, would you like to write for another artist while you're, while you're, you know, while you're working on your project? I said, sure. And I went to see this artist called Ai in, um, in Shibuya and she was singing and I, I thought she had a great voice and, you know, they, um, they asked me to produce her. And the first song I did with her before I even released any of my stuff was a song called EO. And that actually won the MTV, um, MTV Music Awards. Um, I think it was for best video or something like that. And um, really the second song I did with her was, was Story, which was, you know, the ballad song that, you know, initially there was, there was questions about it. Um, you know, her staff was torn between, you know, is it too J Japanese for her because she's more of an R&B act, so forth and so forth. But, you know, I feel like the best songs, the songs that do the best are the ones where, you know, the opinions are split. You know, people oh, interesting. love it, people hate it. And those are the ones that actually do well, is, is the way I think of it. Because, like, you know, a lot of times the whole, the whole like, all the staff is like, oh, this is a great song, this is a great song, you know, but, you know, it's it didn't do as well as they think about it. but people that have strong opinions about a song and that they're, they're usually opposite um from my experience you do better super but yeah so super from there yeah so from there like i ended up you know never releasing my own music because um i don't know i just couldn't figure out what what kind of music i wanted to do as an artist because i'm i'm like a melting pot of of sound basically and I'm, my, my roots is jazz, but I, I love R&B, hip hop. Um, I love pop also. And since I could do it all, I was like, why don't I just write for a bunch of different artists? And that way I could keep making music. I don't have to go on tours and, and don't have to do any of the PR things. And I could just, just make music. And that was kind of the goal. So, um, you know, formed Two Soul Music in 2003. And from there, you know, signed to a big management company for many years. Um, and it's really when I left my management company that I felt, um, you know, having having difficulty connecting to new creators um, and, and new uh, record label people, so forth and so on, because I was locked in a studio making music all day, like most producers are. And like most producers, I mean, I, I I, let me speak for myself, but I, I really sucked at self-promotion and I mm. didn't do, you know, social media back then. So, you know, the whole the simple concept is why, why can't I have a page online where I could just upload all the new music that I make for exclusive placements for record labels and publishers to be able to look at my catalog and pick songs at any time. That's super cool. So having had your own success in music, what do you think songwriters need today? Songwriters today, I mean, they need a laptop. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they don't they have to sneak into the studio at night, huh, Ken? Uh, no, I mean, you can be anywhere now. Before it was endless nights, you know, because you needed a you needed a a big tower to to, to put all those you know pro pro tool HD cards into, and you could, you were not mobile. Yeah. But now, as long as you have a laptop and you have Wi Fi. Anybody can make music. I'd say even a guitar and vocals is fine too. But you know, so the next, uh, so the next part from there is promotion and and getting deals, huh? Yeah. So you know, really, our our, our solution, you know, it really came up um, 
made me start thinking too because you know like a lot of younger kids um like middle schoolers or whatnot they make a lot of music and they have been exploited um especially in the states um a lot of these kids you know get their sell their beats for five six hundred dollars as a complete buyout meaning that they they don't they're not entitled to royalties but to a middle schooler getting six hundred dollars is like wow that's a lot of money but that's just because they don't know the industry. They don't know what's the norm. And that's part of our mission is to educate them on this business too, so that we can protect the younger generation also. And, you know, my son, he's six years old and he's already made three songs. And Sony Music was actually interested in one of the songs what? that he wrote. And when I told them a six-year-old made it, they wouldn't believe me. But I mean, that's how this, you know. So when a six-year-old finishes a song, what do they do with it? right now maybe put it up on youtube exactly maybe soundcloud share yeah. it with family and friends send it to grandma you know like <laughs> but there really isn't like your parents aren't going to go to a publisher or a record label to shop your six-year-old song to them right so what do they do they open a page with surf and you know and everything else is taken care of. Our AI handles it. And behind that, there's 11 people around the world based in London, New York, uh, California, Japan, and Korea um, that can that can help you if you need any help. And, you know, we are technically a 24-hour shop um, because we are laid so far, far away um, in the world. So, uh, yeah. So that's kind of like, you know, where we're... Um, surf surf was born just that simple idea and now we've developed it into a b2b platform that connects anybody that makes music from around the world to record labels publishers and artists for exclusive placements and um you know we've um this this platform was created because of the problems that i was facing as a, as a creator as a, as a producer um, and also, you know, on the other hand, on the buyer's side, like, for example, the record label A&Rs and whatnot, I used to work for Universal Music for about two years as an A&R. So I saw a lot of the inefficiencies on that side. So kind of, you know, um, our 11-person our team on, on Surf, we've all worked in the music industry and in different pillars of the industry. And we've, you know, kind of put our brains together to really think of the problems that exist. And our solution to these problems is surf music. Got it. Well, let's go through each type of user and, and what surf solves for each of them in a little bit more detail. Because I, I understand songwriters are there. Like you said, you were in the studio a lot and you didn't have time to uh, to promote your own music. So that's that's one piece of it. And then you were also on the a side. And so you probably are solving problems on that side of the equation, which is pretty cool. And I think also music supervisors can also use Surf to find uh, to find uh, unsigned music as well, unsigned songs and, and things like that. Yes. So for the songwriter, what does the experience look like? Um, I, I, I mean, we can all imagine, sure, upload your songs, but where does it go from there? So um, the, the whole idea of our creator's uh, login, which is completely different from the buyer's login, by the way, is, is going to be focused on community building. As a music producer, you know, I was having a really hard time until Surf was made, actually. I really didn't know many, you know, any music producers because I, you know, I, I, I just, I, it wasn't in my, they weren't in my circle and it was just, I mean, it's always one producer in the room usually um, when I was working. So, um, yeah, so basically um, for a creator, once they sign up for an account, 
they would upload their entire catalog onto their page and they could select the songs that they want on the marketplace or they could just you know have it up on the cloud to so that it's all tagged and organized and um and stored for them um the next step is if they go to the um their home page their top page of the creator page there's a whole bunch of briefs um song requests from around the world for for k-pop artists for some american artists for a lot of japanese artists and you know you just click onto the briefs and you, and then you read what they're looking for. There's usually uh, reference URLs in there that could um, give you the gist of what they're looking for. And if you think that there's something in your catalog that you'd like to submit, um, you just click uh, submit track. It goes into your entire catalog. Click 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 on the songs that you want to submit and enter, and that's it. It goes directly into. Um, the um the ANR's uh box uh, whoever ANR's playlist whoever created that brief but in addition to that you know our AI technology will actually scan our entire marketplace once a brief is um is given it'll scan the entire marketplace to find the closest matching song to the URL references that are provided and this is done by um our, our AI search engine which basically detects 120 different data points to identify what this song, um, what this waveform, what, what this song is. So if it's say, for example, like a Bruno Mars Uptown Funk kind of song they're looking for, it'll the system will figure out what makes Bruno Mars's Uptown Funk, Uptown Funk. And from there, it'll search the library and search through your catalog, automatically pulling songs that sound like it. And um, for the ANR, when they see their playlist and people submitting songs, the closest match to that URL reference will be up on top. So it saves them a lot of time. So um, right now, um, I suggest, you know, once you open your account, just upload your entire catalog and fill out as much of the metadata as possible um, to the songs. Um, the, our AI will automatically tag all your songs for, for you, but, you know, you can always go in and change the tags to it. Um, even the album covers, um, you know, you can search through our database of millions of photos um, that um, that relate to that song or that you want to put as your album cover and whatnot. And from there, you know, submit your briefs. And we are working on the connectivity part of the creators um, uh, section um, this year, and that's our primary focus. And this is where um, our system will be able to recommend um, other creators on the platform that have similar tastes in music or making similar kinds of songs recommend you to work together. And once, um, you know, both both sides accept um, the friend request, now they'll be able to chat. And um, just so that, you know, we know that, you know, we are a global platform and everyone speaks different languages, but we've incorporated um, a simultaneous AI translation chat into oh, wow. our platform so if you want to speak with another Japanese creator for example they only speak Japanese you just set your language to English he'll set his to Japanese and as he types Japanese all you see is English and as he as he type English all the other person will see is Japanese so it's it's kind of like you know the first uh, breaking down that first barrier which is language um in mo in, in most places but you know, we will be working on, you know, community um, creator focused tools um, moving along and, um, you know, a lot of exciting things where, you know, producers can post uh, tracks that they made that they need top lines for and and top liners can um, add and collaborate to, to add on to 
to um to these songs so essentially you know one song can have four different versions of it and um you know the A&Rs can pick and choose and have you know your 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 songs um you know the probability of your songs being placed you know having different variations of it um can be higher so all these you know collaborative um elements community building elements is what we will be focusing on the creator side Gotcha. Yeah. It's interesting to, to, to not only hear about the platform for connecting these unsigned songs from songwriters with A&R reps as the buyers, but you're also kind of talking about another value proposition of surf, which I'd love to dig into a little bit more, which is this bridge building between the East and the West. Um, and your, your career and your life story, I think is, is a metaphor for, for that bridge building, having, um, you know, having lived in multiple countries and carried on a yeah. musical career, both in the industry and as a creator yourself. Um, I'm curious, like uh, you mentioned K-pop is one of the things. I'm curious, how, how has the success of K-pop influenced the music industry in, in Japan and in America? That's oh, huge. I mean, as you know, it's like um, after BTS came out and and got number one, then Blackpink went on the charts. A lot of Asian um, acts right now that we're only thinking about, you know, success in their own regions are thinking more on a global scale right now, which means that, you know, the song selections that I've seen, especially in the Japanese market, from being very Japanese pop, like J-pop oriented, is they're starting to choose more of the Western sounding songs, which is very refreshing for us. And I think it's a perfect time for surf because essentially we're giving them access to all these songs that can make it on the uh, on the global on the global stage, you know, um, and connecting them and making sure that these deals can go through and they have access to it. So, you know, a lot of comments that we we've gotten um, uh, from from record labels that we've onboarded was literally it's like a candy store for them. It's like a kid walking into a candy store and they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, all this all this great music. It would have taken me months and months to source even a handful for a playlist to present it to the artist. But now it can be done, you know, with our search engine in a matter of seconds. So, um, so yeah, we're very, very excited to, to be yeah, able so to so are you imagining, and, and I don't know if this is how it works today or how it's going to unfold, but are you imagining mm. that American songwriters can now connect with Japanese and Korean and other Asian and our folks? And yes. or are you imagining that Japanese, Korean and other Asian songwriters and creators can connect with American ARs? Is there one direction that works more one way than the other? I think it's both, but primarily right now it's been more of, more of the the um the western writers um placing in asia because you know our three launch um regions are korea japan and the u.s for this first phase and um we've been getting a lot of creators i'd say about 90 over 90 percent of our creators are from um the u.s um stateside and we have others from like israel sweden france um anywhere you name it, it they're there but you know i think our goal is to obviously take you know asian producers to the world which it, it, it's it's slowly but surely it is happening and um you know we want to encourage both sides but at the same time you know um the need of 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 western music um is 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 very high right now in, in hmm. the region so interesting um, so the song, the songwriters that are from, say, the United States, what kind of music yes. are they making? Are they are they are they writing songs for K-pop and J-pop, or are they just writing 
straight up pop songs? Are they expecting these songs to be used in English or what's sort of happening there? So it's really interesting that, you know, to see, but a lot of, you know, Western writers are studying K-pop and making and learning to write K-pop songs. Because as you know, K-pop songs is just not, it's about like four or five songs smashed into one. Like the verse sounds completely different. The pre-chorus sounds different. The chorus sounds different, you know? And so, um, so there's, there's definitely creators that, that, that um, make K-pop and, and um, very intentionally, but others, you know, are making, you know, what they, they make um, normally. And, you know, like uh, Asian artists finding that new and they want to try it out. Um, but then, then we, we do get a lot of um, Western producers even even interested in doing Japanese girl idol music. Like, you know, those those teenage girls like AKB48 and all those, that cutesy kind of anime kind of um, vibe. There's, there's some producers that are making pretty hard beats and they're like, actually, I really love the idol culture. Like, I want to make idol music, which is like, wow, you know? But, but we're here, we're, that's exactly the reason why we're here to facilitate these opportunities and you know if if some of these you know briefs or these opportunities are there obviously our, our creators are welcome to contact us at any time and we can try to find um, opportunities specific opportunities for for songs also but you know um as as we said you know like we are an 11 person team so if everyone calls that as uh, calls us at once it's going to take time to get back but we will get back to you um, but the whole idea is getting this platform to be able to do most of the work for you um, and, and inform you and giving you analytics to, to help you base your decisions on which regions that you should be trying to aim for and to, um, and to play songs if you wanted to. It's interesting to hear you talk about just the sort of the aesthetic of K-pop and its influence on the way that Western songwriters are kind of being approached from 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 the east mm. and it just sounds like i mean it reminds me a little bit about kind of like how how producers in hip-hop have used samples for a really long time um yes. the way you make it sound like this kind of like it's not like it's samples because you're you know it's it's original music um that's that producers are working with but the mashup feel to the to the mm. aesthetic mm. is allowing for some more interesting cross-cultural opportunities or just creative just creativity. Um, it's super interesting yep. to hear you talk about talk about that. I'm curious. Um, I mean, you had this recent Billboard article where you talked about how Japan and South Korea used to just not bother crossing over to American and Western audiences, mm. or if they did, they felt a need to sing in English or change their style. I'm curious mm. what you think changed. What changed in the world that led to this uh, th- this you know cross national cross cultural. Uh, approach uh, within the K-pop world. Well, in in K-pop, K-pop has a a long history of of you know um, really trying to push the borders of, of music, and it, this started a long a long time before even BTS got their hits. But essentially, you know, Korean the Korean government also supports um, the entertainment industry. Um, and and they literally bring in foreign producers, the top foreign producers, and give seminars to Korean producers to teach them how to make this sound. And this has been going on for years and years. And now some of the top Korean producers 
they're at par at the world's top, you know, top creators because they've learned from them. They're, they've really own their craft and, and 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 spread it to the next generation so you know we've seen a lot of korean producers um come on board on disturb and their stuff is 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 very very strong and, and very catchy i must say <laughs> awesome this is super fun hey we have to take a quick break and when we come back i i've heard you talk about the importance of exclusive p- placements so when we get back i'd like to ask you about that Great. Thank you. Hey, Dimitri here. I want to give you a quick update on what we're planning for the 2023 Music Tectonics Conference, October 24th, 25th, and 26th in Santa Monica, California. Meng Ru Kwok, CEO of BandLab, will kick off the conference with a keynote. He's got a unique global perspective on how the convergence of music creator tools with the music industry is already shaping the future. I can feel my mind expanding whenever I hear him speak, and I'm so excited to have him set the tone at Music Tectonics this year. The speaker roster keeps growing at musictectonics.com. We're gathering music tech investors from firms like Sony Ventures, Plus 8 Equity Partners, and Waverly Capital, and big thinkers from Spotify, Tidal, Splice, Lander, Billboard, and more. Hey, you're listening to this podcast. Don't you think you should be there too? Get your early bird ticket at musictectonics.com. See you in Santa Monica. All right, we're back. And Ken, as I mentioned right before the break, um, I've heard you talk about the importance of exclusive placements. What are we talking about there and why is that so important? Um, and and, and how, how did you kind of um, address that in creating surf music? Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, any kind of opportunity for a song, I believe, is important. But um, the reason why we chose exclusive placements and to focus on that was because um, there's a lot of sites right now that do a very good job with licensing and, and, and sync and whatnot, but there hasn't been anything that, um, that we know of that does what we do is, um, through exclusive placements. And I think, you know, exclusive placements is, is really important, especially like even in Asia, because, um, when you release a song and it's an exclusive to that artist, which means that you get to collect, um, royalties wherever it's used and in, in, Japan basically you know karaoke is like the hugest thing right like everyone goes to karaoke you know clubbing is a very niche um niche uh pastime here but karaoke from from kids to grandmas there's so many karaoke booths and just to give you perspective like you know for an exclusive placement um once once your song gets sung at karaoke you get from five to nine cents per time it was it's it's sung that's about a hundred x more than what you will receive from a stream on Spotify or or any of the uh, streaming services. So that is a very very um, lucrative market, and I could speak, you know, like as you mentioned earlier, the song "Story" uh, became the seventh most sang karaoke song in Japanese um, present history, and. Um, the 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 royalties that generates is is your you'll be able to survive for the rest of your life basically if you write a song like that and it is because it's an exclusive placement that that these royalties continue and will continue um, 50 60 years after I pass away um, and for for licensed music I mean they they pay to play um, per time to use on their videos and whatnot and yes of course you know that's I'm not saying that that's a bad way to release music. I think every every opportunity for music to be heard um, and released out to an audience is very valuable. 
but um, there are, you know, exclusive placements is something that um, will 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 never go away either because as long as there's new artists that want exclusive music and original music to release um, by their own, um, this will exist. And it's it's kind of like you know the way that songs, I guess the old school way of songs um, being placed was exclusive placements through through the history of you know the music industry. But you know we want to find different ways, obviously different opportunities um, within the exclusive. Um, um, exclusive uh, placements that we do. That's that's different from traditional. Oh, let's just place your song um, with a with a uh, with an artist signed to a, a record uh, a record deal. But you know, we're looking for opportunities such as um, you know we've we we were able to do a placement in the gaming industry that was pretty big. Um, also going into TV. Um, um, the the idea that you know for for like Netflix and Disney like they look they're looking to sync um for mostly for sync and licensing songs but you know we did um we did uh, two original songs for Disney Plus for a series coming out and they wanted exclusive um exclusive placements and and songs that have not been heard anywhere else so different projects require different things different artists you know, um, have uh, different preferences on, you know, say, for example, Japan, if, if, if a song was uh, on YouTube or on SoundCloud, an A&R won't go there to try and, and, and pick it and get their artists to sing on it. They want something that nobody's heard before. But in the States, it's different. You know, people go and they, they, they go and look for, you know, beats on SoundCloud, on on YouTube and whatnot, even though it's been um, streamed, you know, they don't, they don't, you know, the artists are like, it's cool. I want to, I want to do this song and it, it's fine. So different, different cultures, different artists, different management, you know, different practices. So, um, yes. So it sounds yeah. like on the one hand, there's just kind of like a different cultural approach where it's important to think about um, sort of creating scarcity of a song by making an exclusive placement versus having it all over the place and uh, and and just in general, on a business practice, not just from a cultural sense, but just from a business practice, that if you're able to provide an exclusive placement, you can just uh, you know have more dollar value put into put into the payment for for that use. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's no right or wrong in this, you know. But but you know, every opportunity is a good opportunity, I believe. Yeah, yeah, right. So with the launch of Surf, um, you guys have had a great presence at recent uh, U.S. Uh, music industry conferences at South by Southwest, at Music Biz. Mm -hmm. um, and you've already, you know, obviously you have a history of working in the United States in the music business. Um, I'm just curious if there's anything that you've learned along the way most recently in this new round with, with, with Surf, with your own business, about doing business in America versus Japan or Korea this time around, what are some of the the newest lessons learned uh, in in this bridge building that you're doing? Well, I think patience is definitely um, a big one. Um, Japanese labels too. We've been, you know, they've been using us for over two years now. Um, they started beta testing with us on our beta version, which is, you know, this version that everyone's seeing now is completely rebuilt. Um, you know, so it just it's just being very persistent and also, you know, making sure that our mission statement is, is ironclad and it, it is um, the exact, it's consistent and the narrative that we, um, we state is exactly what we believe in and our actions show that. And I think in the States, you know, it was, it was, 
it's it's a more open conversation i think in the states because you know it's the creators that are really like roaring right now and in, in, in on the state side but in the japanese side you know japanese people are a little more like contained they keep to themselves a little more in general you know what i'm saying so so they won't tell you straight up that there's a filter whenever you talk to them they don't give it to you like um straight up sometimes so it's a little bit you know frustrating but it's a it's something that you know culturally we have to get used to you know on onboarding labels in korea was completely different you know um you just see i guess you know when you when you're in rome do, do as the romans do as they say but it's it's been it's been very interesting you know like there's a lot of a lot of drinking um in both the asian cultures in order to get on the good sides of it you know, I mean, just, you know it's, it's been a fun process yeah, cool. Awesome. We're going to take one more quick break, and when we get back, we're going to get a little crazy and go sci-fi. We'll be right back. Startups, start your engines. Our next Seismic Activity online event is for you. We're gathering investors and music tech startup founders to share tips on fundraising, working with music industry partners, and more. RSVP for free at musictectonics.com and join us July 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You'll meet investors who are tracking the music tech startup landscape and get their insights on succeeding in these tumultuous times for tech. You'll learn from startup founders and past winners of Swimming with Narwhals, Music Tectonics' own startup pitch competition. Jaquel Amankona-Horton, founder of Fave, Zan Schwinn, founder of Bia, and Jessica Powell, founder of AudioShake. The 2023 edition of our Swimming with Narwhals pitch competition is about to launch, so event attendees will find out what to expect this year. Why Narwhals? Our pitch competition mascot is a real one-horned mammal, sometimes called the unicorn whale. No shark tanks at Music Tectonics. Our competition and our conference are designed to be welcoming and mutually supportive for music innovation startups. Be there July 12th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Dive in and RSVP for this free online event at musictectonics.com. Okay, we are back and it is time to get sci-fi. All right, so Ken, this is our chance to ask you, what crazy transformations do you think we'll see in the music business, say, 10 to 20 years from today? What are those future-facing things that you can imagine coming true? Well, you know, with the way AI is going now and how fast it's being developed, it can go in many ways. I think, you know, there will be a time where, and there is already a time where you could just type what kind of song you, you, you want to listen to or create in what style with whose voice, and it, it should be able to create music for you. Um, I think there's going to be questions of what does original music mean um you know just even now we're we're using you know splice loop clouds all these sample libraries that we can you know pay a monthly subscription fee and use these in our songs and still call it original but we didn't play those samples you know we didn't come up with some of those chord progressions you know we you know until what point will we call um call original music i think that's going to be the debate and even as surf um, you know, what's our position in in really um, whether accepting these um, AI generated songs, banning it? I don't know what what to, I don't know what the future leads, but there's going to be some interesting conversations. And also, you know, 
with the whole, you know, the weekend and Drake, that song coming out and people being completely fooled by it. I mean, what's next? I mean, do, are we going to even have real artists? Or are we just going to make up, you know, like a Natsune, like Hatsune Miku kind of like anime character or human-like characters and make them, you know, like a virtual a virtual artist that could tour in the Web3 space and all these, you know, do all doing all these virtual co concerts with, you know, collaborations with other huge acts that don't exist, but only, you know, is created by humans and creating idol groups like that too and and the uh, and the more real graphic is getting there's even technology to scan your body so you could actually be dancing in, in in the metaverse somewhere when you're not when you're sitting at home but your body's actually doing moves and this and that because they scanned you and they have all that data i mean all this like the entertainment industry it's you know it's what it is what it is it's entertainment right so it's yeah. Um, but then there still, I think, needs to be a level of, you know, where, where we need to be responsible with technology. And, um, and our goal um, at SURF is really, you know, to utilize technology to make lives of, of creators and the buyers easier, uh, more efficient, more creative, and, you know, just really just cut down, bridge the whole world so that they're that the world will need no bridge anymore. So mm -hmm. all is one, music as one. Um, it's yeah, very, very exciting time, I think. Nice. You're clearly taking in everything that's happening in the music space right now and, and asking a lot of the hard questions as well. Um, but it's interesting, you go back to really, you know, the two roles that you've played in the industry yourself as a songwriter and as an A&R rep and trying to solve some interesting problems. I mean, that's the thing I think about the industry. We get we can get super sci-fi as, as you did a great job at. Um, but also, you know, there's some basic problems that can be solved, especially as we, you know, go, have more global connections the way Surf is doing um, that uh, that may not be as space age, but really do solve human problems. So it's cool to see what you're you're building with uh, Surf Music. And as you walk around in the industry and, and make moves with your newer company, um, you know, one thing we love to do at Music Tectonics is expand our network. I'm curious if you want to shout out, are there any music tech or innovation companies that you think our listeners should know about in in your on your journey these days i mean one 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 site that we one platform we came past by was um a company called band labs and um basically it gives it provides uh, creators to um, make music on, on their mobile devices and it's it has a social media aspect to it also it could um there's new features that you can mix and master your songs and whatnot but you know, there's 50 million um, users that are on this platform, which which it shows great promise to us into you know the demographics of which surf music can help. Um, so you know, I think you know they're doing a great job, and we want to you know keep keep our eye out on them, and hopefully we can work with you guys someday. Nice, <laughs> awesome. We're big fans of Band Lab as well. What about, you know, maybe before we sign off, are there any cool Japanese creators we should know about? Just a shout out, some music we should check out or up and coming yeah, folks? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of producers, but, you know, one that one producer that's been doing exceptionally well is Trill Dynasty. Um, he was he's a Japanese um, kid from he's a kid from Japan. And basically, in order to get his music out, um, 
he he was DMing like little Dirk for 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 ages until he got a response and he got his track listened to and he has multiple placements with them and with a lot of other um, acts in the states right now and I think he's gone multi platinum already but his story is just so beautiful and the fact that he was able to do that um, and us you know being able to support and moving forward is really an honor and you know these are the kind of these are the kind of success stories you like to see and we like to support. Super fun. Ken Kabori, a songwriter, producer known as Two Soul, also the founder and CEO of Surf Music. It's been so great to have you on Music Tectonics. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.